Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. I'm John Sheck, the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS on the campus of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC on the campus of Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. In the town of Dublin, Virginia, is the new Dublin Presbyterian Church. This congregation has a new minister, fresh out of seminary. He's energetic, excited, and he's written a book about his first year as a minister. The book is called Take My Hand, A Theological Memoir. The author is Reverend Andrew Taylor Troutman. He made the drive down from Dublin to talk to me about his book and life in a diverse rural congregation in Appalachia. Dublin is... Well, just up the road a piece, what, 80 miles from Emory and Henry College on 81? Is that right? Yes, exactly and, right. Um, and about uh, 140 miles north of uh, Johnson City? That's right. Andrew, welcome. To Thank Religion you for Tonight. having me. It's great to be here. I am glad you're here. Andrew is new into the ministry, um, not even two years yet. That's Co- correct. Coming up on, yeah. on two years. and But the thing is, he's already written a book about it. It's called Take My Hand. A Theological Memoir, and it consists of reflections and sermons on his first year as a pastor. So did you know beforehand that you were going to write a book? You know, John, uh, people tease me that I'm so young and already written a memoir. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, for me, um, writing and being a pastor are are very much uh, connected. I'm reminded of um, something Anne Lamont said, that everything she knows about life could also be applied to what she knows about writing. And, um, you know, for me, when I think about what really feeds my ministry and keeps me going, it's the practice of, of writing about it, kind of stepping away and reflecting about it. Um, so I don't think I came into the ministry thinking I would write a book, but um, I do keep a daily journal and decided to, to convert that into, into publishable form, shall we say. Well, good for uh, you. I'm glad you did it. It's a benefit not only for you uh, to kind of keep your head in the game, but also a benefit for the rest of us who read about your experience. Well, thank you. Thank you. And you and you uh, hope to write some more books, too. I do. What are, what are you going to write about in the future? You know, uh, my wife and I just have made it public that we're expecting our first child. Congratulations. And I imagine I'll have some some insights into theology that comes from being a father. Oh, and so I'm, I'm thinking about that. Um, also, I'm um, very involved in some movements in the Presbyterian Church USA. There's this um, dialogue that's taking place called Next Church. Okay, tell me about that. I've heard a little bit about Next Church. Tell me what's going on with that. Yeah, I think the best way to describe it is it's not an organization, but a conversation. Um, it's about ideas and best practices for how we can move forward as a denomination. Um, it's, the name is a little misleading. When we mean next church, we don't mean outside of the denomination. It's, it's a renewal movement, I guess you could say. So we want to stay in the denomination and find out what's really working across the country. And um, as, in that sharing um, can hopefully spark some ideas and some, some good ministry in other, other areas. Well, what... Talk about our beleaguered church then a little bit. What, uh, what What's the renewal that needs to happen? What do you, what do you see going on? Yeah, you know, I, I believe that um, our denomination kind of looks at, at small rural churches as a problem to be overcome, when actually I think we can learn a lot from them. And uh, that's one of the reasons I wanted to make uh, my book public, 
So rather than just keeping a journal of these realizations and learnings that I've had from people, I wanted to share them so that other people can learn from it too. Um, there's really a deep sense of community at my church. Um, it's a community um, that people work really hard at fostering. <laughs> um, it's a community that crosses political and ideological differences. It's a community that uh, checks in regularly, but yet respects boundaries. Um, it's, it's very interesting. Um, we have people in our church um, that have been in the area for over two centuries. They trace their, their ancestors back to the founding of, of the town. It's called New Dublin because the original Dublin was across the pond. <laughs> Dublin, <laughs> Ireland. Dublin, Ireland. This is New Dublin. Okay. And so to be that rooted into an area is quite remarkable. And I guess my stereotype going into it would be that they would be unflexible and unwilling to change and be open to new ideas. And what I've actually discovered is that that deep sense of place and who you are can spark a remarkable open-mindedness to other things and that, it, that a strong identity um, can actually be a permeable boundary where you can welcome people into it. So w- tell me about a little bit about Dublin and New Dublin Presbyterian Church. How, how big is it and all of that? We have um, 171 members on our roll, um, but we regularly worship about 90 people. Okay. We have people that uh, stay on our roll but that have moved to California because they want to keep up the, the connection, children and grandchildren. Sure. Um, so it's, it is a growing church. Um, one of the amazing things that we do is a program called Worship and Wonder. So for a church our size, you know, we have 20 kids, which is really great. That is really um, good. So you have some young families then? So we have some young families, and we have our, I guess, church patriarchs and matriarchs uh, that sit in the same place every Sunday and are very well connected and tied in. Uh, How big is Dublin, the, the town? Yeah, you know, it's it's one stop off Interstate I-81, um, primarily rural. We have several families who are farmers for a living. Um, there is the Volvo plant that's just up off the exit, so um, that's a big employer in our community as well. And there's a wonderful community college, New River Community College. So how's your congregation different from other congregations in the area? <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great question. Um I would say that we have a um, remarkable ability to learn from one another. So we have um, farmers in our community with very little education, but have taken it upon themselves to learn from some of the faculty at Tech and Radford. So uh, you can go to a church potluck and hear people talking about uh, string theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also then hear t- people talking about... Um, you know, with the weather, for example, right? Sure. <laughs> so uh, it's it's a blending, I would say, of um, ideas, thoughts, and perspectives that comes from a genuine curiosity. Um, it's remarkable that people that that join our church and attend regularly are are look at the world with eyes wide. They want to learn. Now, would some of your folks in your congregation say have attended other churches and then um, but, but wanted something more, what, op- open? 
I'd say is that, that's is probably that fair true. That they go to your congregation because uh, it's not necessarily because you preach, tell them what to think and what to, what to believe. That uh, when, when I read your book and, and what your book is um, a series of reflections followed by uh, fourteen, I think, sermons all together uh, throughout your first year in the ministry. And when I read it, I found it to be uh, very invitational. Um, you, you don't tell people what to think or believe. You offer your thoughts, even on some controversial topics. Um, but you invite people to engage in ideas rather than to tell them, here's what you need to think. And I think that's refreshing for a lot of people. Well, thank you. I've, I've been told that. Uh, I got a, a wonderful email um, from a woman in North Carolina just last week who'd read the book, and she attended a funeral service for a family member. And the preacher uh, apparently was saying some very hurtful things telling her how she should feel. And in the back of her mind, she said to herself, well, Andrew wouldn't say that. Ah, sure. And so to have that kind of uh, counter narrative is, is a wonderful thing and something that I, I very much want to be intentional about. You know, Barbara Brown Taylor talks about how she wishes sometimes there were pulpit police. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm certainly not going to arrest anyone that's preaching, but I would like to offer a different, a different vision for people in our community, uh, maybe people that have been hurt by the church. My guest is Reverend Andrew Taylor Troutman, author of Take My Hand, a theological memoir, talking about his first year in the ministry at New Dublin Presbyterian Church uh, in Dublin, Virginia. So are you having fun? I'm having a great time, John. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we just came off. Is it off. still the honeymoon? I, I don't know if they still use that phrase, but and I never liked it because I really, you know, I'm married to my wife, not the church. But they Amen. use that metaphor all the yeah. time of of that first year being a honeymoon with the congregation, and and then and then things, and then they find the real you, and you find the real them, and all that. Where are you in that process? Yeah, that, that's a great point. Um, I, I definitely have lost the Midas touch. Where everything uh, I start or envision turns to gold. Um, but, you know, I, I think I came in being very intentional about um, listening. My, my last year in seminary at Union, Presbyterian Seminary in Richmond, I uh, had the privilege of seeing Dr. Brian Blunt start his presidency that same way. He came in saying, what I want to do is listen to where you are. And I was very intentional about doing that my first year, too. And um, I think that right away built up a level of trust, um, maybe not the honeymoon trust where it's kind of just given um, de facto because you're new, mm-hmm. um, but a trust that, that uh, can last. Um, I think my parishioners recognize that um, I'm, I'm genuinely curious in them. Uh, so your book is out and it's been published. Uh, have you had feedback from your congregation? I have, yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a culture, Appalachian culture, as I'm sure you know, is um, prides itself on some level for its humility. Uh huh. So in in some ways, don't get I think, above your raisin kind of thing. That's right. That's right. Um, so I think uh, in some ways they're they're a little a little shy about the attention, the, the spotlights that has been cast on them. Um, but I think they uh, they come across 
very well in my book, and I think my love for them shows. And I, I think, think it shows too. Obviously, you wrote and you asked uh, everyone that you wrote about. You said in the book that you got your permission from them, and everything is is a that's positive right. statement. Yeah. So, and that was the other thing is that they knew it was coming, so it wasn't a surprise. You are the son of a pastor. That's right, as well as the grandson. At, uh, oh, two two generations. <laughs> so, yes. what what advice have you received from your father and grandfather, or or what did you see in his ministry that you wanted to continue? Yeah, my my dad. Um, this is interesting. So my first year was his 25th year at the same church, and he received a sabbatical grant to take the whole summer off. And what my father did was spend a lot of that time reading his journals from his early years of ministry. And he talks about how um, if he could go back in time and, and say something to his young self, he would just give him a hug and say, it's going to be okay. <laughs> How about that? You don't need to be, in other words, you don't need to be so reactionary. He said that he, he saw himself as just pinballing from need to need. And what I try and do is, is rather than be uh, reactionary, rather than feel, have a need to be needed, um, to really try and um, have some, some priorities, which includes taking care of myself, being with with my wife, um, um, so I guess I guess it's really a lesson of self care that I learned from my dad. Um, he also said a, a very helpful thing to me is that when you picture your church, try and see it through the eyes of your most mature members. Hmm. And what he meant by that is not necessarily those who are the oldest, but those who have, um, I guess, a concept of wholeness and healing. Um, you know, there are some voices in, in all of our churches that are negative for, for whatever reason, and, and those voices might not be true. <laughs> I mean, there's some, I think ministers should be open to valid criticism. Um, but rather than kind of latching on to that one lone negative voice and trying to do your best to, to get in that person's good graces, you know, to see, have a bigger picture of it. Um, yeah, let's continue that about Sabbath keeping and self-care. Um, many clergy don't make it as clergy. I, I don't know the statistics on it, but the chapter that has the same title as your book is is Take My Hand is about clergy self-care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you wrote, I often bend over backwards to please people. So how, uh, I know that, I do yeah. too. So how do you manage that aspect of your personality as a minister without without burning out? I know, it's it's so easy to do. I mean, you can... You know, 84 handshakes after the sermon are positive, and that one where right. someone gives a little dig, and that's the one you remember, right? Uh-huh. Um, part of it is, is trying to have a bigger picture in mind. Um, part of it, I think, is, is being willing to be patient. Um, so if we're bending over backwards to every need that presents itself, um, you can tie yourself out really easily. But if you're willing to just kind of maybe bracket something for a later date, maybe a, a offhanded jibe or a comment, or um, and then hopes that, you know, if you give enough time, you can not only have the energy to address it, but maybe the deeper underlying issue will come out too. Um, I guess just on a, on a practical level, I, I try and exercise a lot, mm-hmm. which is really helpful to clear my mind and, and to write and uh, to be engaged in, in different things, uh, read things other than uh, commentaries and, and uh, 
church related other, things. Other business. So, yeah. yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Take time for yourself. I mm-hmm. remember in my first uh, year, first couple of years as a minister, as a minister, my colleague down the street had been in an, over 20 years, and I remember watching him. And he, and it's not, it wasn't a good example. He was very careful, went out and did everything for everybody in the church, and they still treated him lousy. And I learned <laughs> from that. I said, man, it doesn't matter. <laughs> if I make that as my goal to try to please everybody, I'm going to lose anyway. <laughs> and that was actually a helpful learning experience to recognize, to kind of say, I got to do what I need to do, what my strengths are. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that. Um... You know, it, it is difficult. I think people, a lot of people get into the ministry for very positive reasons. They want to serve, right? But, sure. but you need to recognize that um, you need to take care of yourself, too. Um, there's a great image. I'm reading Rob Bell's Velvet Elvis. He talks about how he's, you know, he's hugely successful. He started this church, became thousands and thousands of people, and he's sitting in backstage before he goes on, and all he can think about is how much he dreads leading that service. All he can think about, he's, get, he's holding his car keys in his hand, and he's thinking, how far away could I get <laughs> before they realize I'm gone? And that kind of burnout, right? Um, and the way he describes it, he said his advice to young pastors is that they need to kill the super pastor in them. <laughs> this idea that you can do everything and be everything to everyone. Um, I thought that was a helpful image. If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, I'm John Shuck, and my guest is uh, Reverend Andrew Taylor Troutman, uh, author of Take My Hand, a theological memoir. He goes through his first uh, year as a pastor of the New Dublin Presbyterian Church in Dublin, Virginia, has reflections, and then closes each section uh, with a sermon. Um, one of the chapters you wrote that one of the members um, of your pastor nominating committee, that's the team that, uh, that brought you into the church, said that the major responsibility of their new pastor would be to put meat in the seats. And <laughs> I found that incredibly unappetizing, <laughs> and I know it's a joke, but people really out there aren't, aren't, aren't dumb. I mean, they'll know if a church wants them just to come in to be meat in the seats and exactly. to fill the budget out. So, uh, um, so, and then it puts the pressure on you, uh, yeah, uh, I think that pressure is uh, the pastor as a performer, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, you're here to be entertained. Uh, I talked, um, I forget who I was reading, but they talk about becoming uh, mega-churched. So people come in with certain expectations. And I actually met a couple like that who visited our church and then asked to meet with me. And they said, well, you know, what can your church do for us? And the idea that we try and, and live into at New Dublin is what can we do for the church? So that it's not about one person's performance every Sunday, but about a community that learns from each other and grows together. And so then it becomes not about, well, how many people are in the seats, but what are those people doing? How are they living their faith? How are they supporting one another and reaching out into the community? Not only what you can do for the church as a necessarily even as the congregation, but what you can do to do something for the community at large, right? Do Thank something you. for the world. Absolutely. How yeah. you can how you can grow and work together. Because people may wonder, and you wrote in your book, well, why should I why should I even bother? <laughs> That's right. Being part of a community, and and uh, it seems that the the reasons that church might have had in the past is just kind of a thing you get involved in. They don't involve anymore. 
I mean, we have to have um, uh, a, a sense of purpose about who we are and what we're doing. Yes, I completely agree. Um, it's, you know, I hear people lament uh, all the time that, you know, the quote-unquote young people aren't in the churches. And they often mean that as a disparaging thing towards, towards the younger generation. But in fact, uh, if, you know, if you look at a lot of studies that have been done, um, the millennial generation is very active, incredibly Absolutely. involved. Take volunteering, for example, very seriously and very much see themselves as wanting to join something bigger than just them, wanting to contribute their time and energy in ways that uh, bring light into the world. So the church then should, uh, I think, seek to meet them where they are, rather than staying back and opening our doors and saying, come, come to us. Come to us and be like us. Where are you, and how can we learn from right. you? Right. What, is, uh, what do you like most about ministry? Yeah, I like, you know, I like the, I mean, I appreciate that you, fed, that you said my sermons are invitational. I, I like the invitation part of it. I mean, I, I want to show people um, that it's an amazing thing, this faith that we have that draws us into community. Won't you come be a part of it? And what can you bring to strengthen it? Um, those are conversations that, that really energize me. In your book, you also talk about um, being prophetic, uh, speaking truth to power. So what, what truths do you want to speak, and, and how do you do it, and how does it work in New Dublin? Yeah, it's funny. When I was in, in seminary, um, I read a lot of liberation theology and um, really saw myself, I think, in some ways. I think we all have it. G- give, give, us, give us a liberation theology. What's that? Give us a sentence about that. What's that mean? Sure. So um, Gustavo Gutierrez is often called the father of liberation theology. And it's the idea that um, God is for the poor. Okay. And that God wants, um, God is on the side of those who are being oppressed rather than on the side of those who are oppressing. So faith or theology has to do with the, the meat and potatoes of life. The, meat and potatoes of life. That's a great way to put it. The economic situation and all of that. That's right. Yeah, it's, we say sometimes, you know, it's not polite to talk church or politics. And liberation theology is the complete opposite of that. <laughs> church is politics. What we do in the world does matter. And, it matter, and, it, and we have a lot of church and politics out there. Uh, when I, in fact, I sometimes get cynical. I look at religion, and it's, it's anti-gay, it's anti-poor, it's now becoming anti-woman, and, and uh, all of these kinds of things. And maybe uh, the idea of liberation theology is perhaps a reversal of some of those things. I would hope so. And so you're bringing so. that to New Dublin, and what, how, what, what has that experience been like? Well, um, you know, I think that a, it's true that a lot of the voices in Christianity today that are getting, making the most noise don't really have the, common, the, most, the majority of this country's best interest in mind. Mm-hmm. So um, l- being able to tease that out, um, being able to, rather than tell people, you know, what they should think on a certain issue, uh, be able to invite them to dig deeply about it, to think deeply about it. Excuse me. Why do you think that way? Well, um, it, you think the Bible says this? Well, what about some other parts of the Bible that may, may say something differently? Um, where is the, the rubber meeting the road here in your life? 
and 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 how can God might speak to that? Um, so it's I, I started to say in seminary I had the idea that I would be kind of lecturing people. I, I guess maybe we all have kind of an inflated sense of our ego in seminary, John. Is uh-huh. that true? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but now um, I see that as more um, a conversation because I think. It's more effective when people come to those conclusions on their own um, rather than, than hearing them um, from so-called expert. Reverend Andrew Taylor Troutman is my guest on Religion for Life. His book is Take My Hand, a theological memoir. He takes us through his first year as a parish pastor. And a couple of your sermons have dealt with, um, with some big issues, prayer, suffering, uh, perhaps God's role in all of that. To, do you believe in a personal God? Well, what do you mean by that, John? Well, I guess I'm a, a God that answers prayers, a God that is involved in some way, or how do you? What does God do? Yeah, you know, I I, I wrestle with that a lot, John. Yeah. Um, and um, I wrestle with that a lot. Specifically, you know, what is the function of prayer? I mean, is it? I mean, I've talked to people who. You know, they get a good parking space, and they say, "Oh, thank you, God." No, that's that's a bit silly, right? But, but on you know, on a deeper level, is God responsive to our request? Is that the reason we pray? Do we need to uh, inform God of needs that we have? Well, Jesus said that you know, your Father in heaven already knows what you want before you ask. So then, why ask? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, God needs a memo. <laughs> right. Is is God like, uh, the example I use in the book, is, is God like an emergency response team? Does God need to be alerted that this traffic accident has happened so that God can rush in and, and fix it and save it? I, I think that's um, a small God. Sure. So, so I want to hold on to the, the mystery of God as, as something that is not at our beck and call but still want to take the idea of, of praying seriously. So then, why do we pray? Um, I do think that a consistent and um, disciplined practice of prayer can change us. I think it changes the way we view the world. I think it changes the way um, we see people around us. And in that, with that in mind, praying together as a community makes us more responsive to the needs around us. Certainly are sharing uh, that sense of common humanity. It's, an, uh, it's, a, it's a way I find ritually of being able to be honest with one another. I like that, that word honesty. Yeah. And you uh, wrestle with the, I'm, I'm push, obviously these are huge theological questions, <laughs> but uh, what I'm impressed with is that you wrestle with them and you wrestle with them from the pulpit and in your pastoral care with your congregants. Well, that's, that's where people are, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? I mean, they don't want to be given tit-for-tat answers. At the end of the day, I really don't think that's what they want. They, they want to, to wrestle with these big questions that may be ultimately mysteries, but rather than writing that off right at the very beginning, let's dig in it together and, and think about it together. We are just about out of time. Tell me, what, what do you hope will be the takeaway from your book, Take My Hand? What do you hope people will get after they read this book? Or why should they get this book? I think if you're looking for a side of Christianity that is invitational, that wants to hear you and what you bring to the conversation about the big questions 
of why are we here and what is God's role in it. That take my hand is a model, kind of a case study of one little church community in the New River Valley that is doing precisely that. Reverend Andrew Taylor Troutman, my guest on Religion for Life, thank you for being with me and uh, and all the best to you in your ministry. Thank you, John. This has been a great privilege and pleasure. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Schock. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. More information about my congregation can be found at fpcelizabethton.org. Information about Religion for Life, including upcoming shows and podcasts, are available at religionforlife.me. Follow Religion for Life on Facebook and Twitter. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS-FM and WETS-HD1, Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM, Emory, Virginia. Be well.